Welcome back to the podcast. Um, the story is almost finished. So this is again Supernatural Academy by Maria Grant. Um, if you are here, chapter twenty four, then you've already heard everything all before. So I'm not going to repeat myself. Um, if you are new to the podcast, welcome aboard. Um, you really want to listen to chapters one through twenty three before reaching here. Chapter twenty was a recap. Um, if you just want to check out that episode, on to this one. Um, but I'm about to just get started. There's not that many pages left. There's only 26 chapters. I'm on chapter 24. Um, so there's about like 50 more pages or so to go. Um, yeah, less than 50 pages or so to go. So we're going to see if we can knock this out. Um, I'm reading from chapter 24, Magical Council and Secrets Revealed. Arriving back to the house seems a bit surreal. Kaya left in such a blur. She didn't even have time to process that she left to a different state with two guys. She really doesn't know. To make it worse, she had her phone off and anything could have happened. She's glad it didn't, but it could have. Especially considering how unstable Zaire is. They were only important for one day, but it's not like Kaya missed too much schoolwork. Only two days of classes, but that's okay. Wednesday, she has her breakout sessions, so she needed to be back today anyways. It's three in the morning, and she uses her key to get into the house. She's able to sneak up to her room, but doesn't get to close the door before Gates is walking in, locking it behind him. Quiet as ever, Gates sits on the edge of her bed before lying down on it letting his long hair flare out on the pillows and stuffed animals. He rests a palm of his hand on his bare stomach and Kaya blinks away as her eyes trail up his abs. So apparently everyone has abs. Yes, she questions. Gates, as she places her duffel in front of her bed, come. Gates passes face beside him and she sighs heavily before taking off her socks and shoes in order to join him on the bed. She's now slept in a bed with Declan, Anders, Reed, Chase, and Ayaks. You are in my bed. I hope you're clean, she grumbles in order to stop her heart from racing so fast. Why is he here? What does he want to know about? She can't help but question. I showered, he tells her. How was your trip? One of the wards went off, so I figured you were home. Kaya raises a brow at that. Wards? She questions. How long was she gone for? My mom came by with emoji and moderate last night to put them up, Gates explains. They alert me when someone has passed by them. So they don't prevent people from getting in? She's confused as to their purpose. No, those will be placed tomorrow while we're at school. He retorts. She hums and rests her head on his arm as she faces him. It's going to take some special magic that determines that anyone with ill intentions will not be able to get through so easily. Kaya is very impressed. Impressive, she admits, but the trip was good. She starts to smile. I met sirens, and they really hate Zaire because he killed a bunch of them who were using their songs to incite hatred in people. Nine girls died. How was Zaire? Gates questions. He hurt you or anything? 
I figure he went with you when I saw him driving to pick you up. He was a total dick. But nice at the same time, oddly enough, she recalls. It's weird. It's like he knew what I was going through, but a part of him genuinely couldn't process how to be sympathetic. So he was a dick instead. God, he even put me in a room with Chase while he had a room to himself. Gates actually laughs at this. How was that? Yates shovels a bit on the bed as he asks a question. Chase is a total sweetheart. Kaya gushes. He got me cupcakes and I cried over them because the siren sung a song and it made me see how my dad died, which turns out he died by druids, not hunters, and used his last strength to put a protection spell on me so druids wouldn't find me. He must have the same gifts of you then to be able to do solo magic. Gates thinks out loud. I wish he taught me more about it then. She whispers more to herself than Yates. Gates seems to be thinking about something as he gets quiet for a moment. Sometimes we do things to protect others without realizing we're hindering them, Gates suggests. That's why I want to come clean about something. Your father being able to place a vision in Anders is weird. The dead aren't omniscient, so how can he see your death? Kaya isn't sure if she likes Yates' training, training of thought right now. Your father, Yates starts. Has Sophie described what he looks like to you? Kaya opens her mouth and shuts it as her bottom lip starts to quiver. No, she hasn't, Kaya admits. But he knew stuff about me, everything. Yaris was a fallen angel who got special powers from Lucifer. Yates says slowly, if he touched your father, he could have gotten all of your father's memories from him. He is known as a trickster after all. Kaya pulls away from Yates, but he holds her closer to him so that her face is pressed directly into his pecs. Shut up, she yells into his chest. You can't be telling me that my dead father has been Yaris this entire time. Shut up, she cries as she hits him with her fist. She wants him to let go of her. She wants to run away, far away, so she doesn't have to think again. She doesn't want to feel this pain. She's so tired of pain. Yaris is probably taunting you with how you'll die. Yates continues. I think Yaris is going after the descendants themselves, while the druids are going after the sacrifices. If he saw into your father's mind, then he knows of the letter your father wrote sending you to the school. He found you. It's something Madurai warned me about last night. I think she had a vision. She isn't sharing. Kaya feels frozen. Even though her body is trembling from head to toe, it was for nothing. Her father sacrificed himself for nothing. In the vision, that man who killed her father must have been Yaris, even though the hand looked normal and not of a skeleton. But then again, maybe only one hand is skeleton. Maybe it was a disguise. Oh, jeez. Kaya's head hurts. It's just a thought. Gaze tries to reassure. I, I could be wrong, but you stating what you did tonight kind of confirmed some of my suspicions. I'll... Kaya doesn't even know what she wants to say because she's not even sure what to say. Her heart hurts. I'll like Sophie in the morning to describe them. She mumbles. Gaze nods and sits up, patting her leg a couple of times before standing. Just... Gates pauses at the door. Just try not to do anything dangerous, like go looking for vampires to drink from you so you can get high. Kaya goes to defend herself. 
but it stopped by an unimpressive expression coming from Gates. I warned you it was addictive. You and Sophie didn't argue for nothing. And using writing a paper is a complete piece of crap. If you want drugs, just say something so you can use them in a safe environment. I... Kofi thinks about it. Kofi. Kaya thinks about it as well as... I want drugs, please. She whispers the last part to hide her shame. Gates nods and leaves, cutting her light off as he goes. Wait! She calls out to him. There's a pregnant pause before he's back in the room. I don't want to be alone. He hums and comes back in the room before jumping on the bed, making a bounce. Don't fart on me like Sophie does, Gates warns, and Kaya can't even help but laugh as she settles down to sleep. She sleeps soundly, even with a heavy heart in mind. Waking up, Kaya feels slightly refreshed until last night dawns on her. Her legs begin to feel like jelly. It's the same feeling she gets from riding a roller coaster over and over again. She looks at the clock and sees she has an hour before her first class. Yates, who has no morning classes, is still asleep in her bed. <sighs> Heavy-hearted, she gathers her bathroom stuff and shuffles her way across the loft. Surprised and not being noticed, she does her business and shuffles back to the bedroom, completely forgetting Yates is still in there. Not knowing to what to do and afraid of being caught naked, she rushes to her closet and shuts the door. She tries to get dressed in the dark. She stumbles and bangs against the door only for it to open to a confused Yates tilting his head and looking at a semi-wet Kaya who has on a neon pink shirt and underwear. She blushes and flushes from head to toe. Should I ask? He looks her over with humor dancing in his eyes. Shut up! She stuttered for the first time in her life. I forgot you were in the room just that quickly. Hmm. He leans against the door frame of her closet and offers no help. It's nothing I haven't seen before besides I'm shirtless. Nudie doesn't bother me. Hmm. She grunts as she stands. Well, I'm not as blunt. Now close your eyes. He does as told and she changes into a regular uniform before huffing. Okay, you can open. He peeks with one eye before opening the other. Alright, I'm going back to bed. Instead of leaving, she sees him saunter back to her bed as he flops down on it face first. Kaya shakes her head and gathers her stuff before heading downstairs. Walking downstairs, Kaya runs into a surprise Sophie who's in the kitchen. The other team is drinking a handmade smoothie. Kaya, Sophie whispers as she puts her drink down. When did you get back? Kaya rubs at the back of her head. A few hours ago, really, Kaya admits, said the warts went off, so I figured, so he figured I was back. He had a lot to say, actually. Sophie nods and goes to sit at the table. My father, whenever you see him, does he have a birthmark in his left eye? Sophie furrows her brows. No, not at all. Sophie is quick to respond. Think carefully, Kaya says desperately. It's small, so it could be hard to miss. I remember the faces of the dead, Kaya, Sophie says with a saddened expression. Their faces are implemented in my brain. He doesn't have a birthmark. Kaya's knees give out, and Sophie rushes to her friend. Kaya, 
Kanye was wrong. Malcolm can hear. Malcolm's footsteps rush down the stairs as he flies into the kitchen. What's going on? Malcolm picks up a distraught Kaya. She can't even begin to talk and express this. Yaris knew all along. Once he filtered through her dad's memories, he knew. He beat Kaya here and was here every step of the way. He's known. He's been toying with her. So she cries. She's so tired of crying that her body actually aches. Yaris. He's been toying with her. Yes. Can you explain? She croaks out. She can't even get her mind around to admitting all of this out loud. I just need some water. She walks over to the sink as Malcolm heads upstairs. No doubt to wake up Yates and ask what's going on. Here, I'll do it. Sophie grabs a cup and fills it with water before handing it back to Kaya. Sip slow. Kaya nods and does as told. As her hands shake, Kaya should have known. She should have known after she saw the vision from the siren. Her father was at peace. He thought that he protected Kaya and he was at peace. So why would he hang around? He didn't have any unfinished business. Kaya should have realized. I'm ready now. Kaya sighs as she places a cup in the sink. Come. I'll explain as we walk to school. Sophie looks ready to deny and force Kaya to bed. But the other team seems to bite her tongue instead. Just know I'm sorry about Sunday, Sophie admits. I freaked on you due to my own fears of not being able to protect myself from a vampire who once so chose to attack. Thank you for explaining, Kaya says as they walk outside. I accept your apology, especially since I lied to you. I went there for my own curiosity. And not for the paper. No, that's not entirely true. I went there because I wanted to get bit. I just needed to get out of my head. Sophie whips her head up in concern. Don't worry, Gates already gave me the third degree in the matter. I thought that if I got high enough, I wouldn't have to worry about my impending death. Oh, Kaya. Sophie says sadly. The council is in town. If anyone can protect you, they can. We'll, we'll figure something out. Kaya appreciates the sentiment, but she notices that Kaya doesn't promise anything because at the end of the day, there are no certainties. While Kaya deals with her problems involving her father and Yaris, Mr. Patel is having a mini crisis of his own. Are you seriously packing? Mr. Patel walks in the house to see it lined up with boxes. I was only gone a couple of days. I warned you, if you walked out that door, I wouldn't be here when you came back. Mrs. Patel walks up to him. You chose your hunting group over your family, over me and Declan. Your hatred is stronger than your love. You lied to me, he shouts. You deceived me this entire time. And now I'm supposed to what? Just hold hands, skipping down the street as I profess my love? I felt betrayed and I still do. But my feelings don't matter, huh? Because now you've gotten everything out in the open, clear conscience for you. Damn the consequences. Mrs. Patel lifts her head up high. I've sat back and watched you kill supernatural creatures because I convinced myself you were only hurting those who posed a threat to humans.
Mrs. Patel explains. However, I have a son to protect. I had no idea your hatred was targeted towards him. That you've been hurting him. Our son. Our own flesh and blood. How could you? How can I be a mother and put my son at risk? Your mother told me everything. Mr. Patel lets on an eerie laugh as he closes her in against the wall, resting a head above her head as if caging her in. Mrs. Patel pushes him away from her and tilts her head in warning. You will not cage me in, she warns, and you will not leave me, he threatens in return. I needed time, he states bluntly, to process. I just needed time. Do you think I've been killing supernatural creatures this whole time? I haven't killed a single supernatural creature since Declan presented. I go with the hunting group, yes, to save face. I don't participate. But you wouldn't know that, would you? Then why do you hurt Declan? Mrs. Patel demands to know. Because the world is going to. Mr. Patel shouts in frustration. The world isn't going to accept him. They aren't going to care about his feelings. I might be a horrible person, but at least this way no one could possibly hurt Decca more than I have. He'll be prepared for whatever life has to throw at him. I've made my place. Mrs. Patel shakes her head in disbelief. You care more about what people think than you do your own son's happiness, she says in a somber tone. If he wasn't so strong, if he didn't have Yates, he might have killed himself by now because of you. Do you know that? How could I ever forgive you for hurting my child, for abusing my child? What is wrong with you? The same way I can forgive you for lying to me. He responds in a whisper, because I love you despite of what you are. Mrs. Patel allows her eyes to flutter closed. And if you still love me despite that I'm a hunter, I promise not to hurt Declan ever again. Not on purpose. How can my son ever love you? Mrs. Patel breaks down. How can he ever love me? I lied about my status. I married a hunter. I'm ignorant to his suffering. The Murrays have practically raised our child. We just threw him at that academy. Mr. Patel wraps his arms around her body and sighs. I guess it's time I came clean. Mr. Patel leads his wife to one of the couches and sits beside her as he holds her hand. Growing up, my parents are both hunters, as you know. Mrs. Patel nods with wet eyes. They weren't taught to be hunters. It was something they decided on their own after a werewolf attacked and killed my then older brother. Mr. Patel stops talking. I never got to meet him. Apparently, the family was taking a late night stroll in London, or they lived at the time. And that's when they were attacked. Said the man began to hunch over and turn into a beast before running straight at them. They survived with scratches and bruises, but my brother died. He was a baby. That's horrible, Mrs. Patel gasped. It made my parents a research on what attacked them. Mr. Patel continues. They discovered werewolves, hunted it down, and killed it. It made them happy, like they did justice and had control. Moving to the States and getting settled and settled and involved with hunters 
They raised me to believe that supernatural creatures are nothing more than demons, monsters that need to be put down before they kill innocent humans. They convinced me as a Christian it was my duty. That's all I knew, he admits. This was how I was raised. It's not an excuse, but when you begin hunting and killing at the age of five, it's hard to turn off that switch. When Declan presented, I thought that God was punishing me for my actions. And I knew that as long as people like me existed in this world, he would never be safe. So I made him tough. You are so screwed up, huh? She laughs. Where there's no humor in her tone at all. It's a laugh of pain and sorrow. When I left for the hunting group, we drove to Virginia for some vampires. Mr. Patel admits, or as a little girl, probably about five or six. She was recently turned. The others killed her like it was nothing. And all I could think about was Duckling. Will that happen to him one day? Will he be gunned down, body torn apart without justice, all because of what he is? So I came back. You made the right choice. She tells him sincerely. There's something Declan should be warned about. Mr. Patel continues. My hunting group has been working with other hunting groups and have been killing supernatural creatures in droves. It's all so they can perform some sort of ritual that will allow them to open what they call a gate to the realm of beast, supposedly. The person to open this realm will be able to control the beast. And once that happens, hunters will have a number of beasts at their disposals to help them eradicate all supernatural creatures. What? Mrs. Patel says in disbelief. It's all crazy, honestly. Mr. Patel asks in hysteria. The person responsible for this crazy idea is a man named Sari. But some call him Joel. He's convinced a lot of us that this idea would be good. That it will give hunters an advantage since all we have to fight with are man-made tools. And people are falling along with this? Mrs. Patel questions and bewilderment more and more. Mr. Patel nods. Some hunters up in Portland have even gone to kidnapping sirens in order for them to sing their songs to give inspiration on how to open the realm doors. I don't know if I even believe in all that stuff, but this sorry guy is real convincing. The group I'm with might target my son the school soon. I hope Declan stays safe then, Mrs. Patel says with a heavy heart. We should tell him about this. You do it. Mr. Patel responds, I'd rather if he kept hating me. I don't deserve his forgiveness. Mrs. Patel opens her mouth to respond and then shuts it again. Whatever her husband is going through, he'll have to work this out one for himself. Right now, she needs to warn her son that the hunters are coming. When Mr. Patel discusses next steps with his wife, life goes on for the magicals. Not going to class for two days has already made Kaya lazy. She barely listened to any for class lectures and with no appetite, she skipped lunch completely. Her breakout session should have been fun, but Reed skipped it, claiming he has something more important to do. Whatever it is must be serious for Reed to skip class. And again, the teen hasn't been acting normally lately. Not that Kaya has any room to talk.
The only good thing about today is the fact that Kaya's mother called her wanting to talk. Kaya spent an entire hour on the phone with the woman who apologized profusely with a sorrow-filled voice. Kaya admitted she forgave her mother the moment she left the house that day but that she was still glad they could reconcile at the same time. That call left Kaya's heart feeling lighter for the first time in weeks. Now it was seven at night, and the crew was all sitting in the basement watching a Marvel marathon of the Avengers movies. Growing bored, Declan starts kicking Anders with his sock-covered foot. Anders allows his body to move with each kick for a solid move before he spawns with violence. He jumps up suddenly and pulls Declan by his feet so the teen is on the floor straddling Declan's hips. He pins, pins the teen down. Kinky. Gate snorts. Aw, come on. Declan struggles since his hands are confined. I can do way better than Anders. Oh, really? Anders raises a questioning brow. You can't even get a hot girl to like you. How do you expect a guy to want your ugly mug? Declan scrunches up his face and raises his knee to jab Anders right in the nuts. The taller teen's eyes go cross as he clenches up and punches Declan right in the bread basket. Now neither one of us can breathe. Anders pants out as he falls into the floor. I'm surrounded by idiots. Sophie complains. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Declan looks up and smirks at Anders. Anders smokes in return. Smirks in return. One on the count of three, Anders says, and starts counting down. Before Sophie can react, the two boys have reached three and they attack. She twists and wiggles as they tickle her nonstop. Reed looks on with a fond expression as Kaya launches her body in on the attack. She seems to be in good spirits today, which is a relief. Reed leans his head back on the couch when Gates makes eye contact and nods towards the stairs. He gets up and leaves first, claiming he is going to order some food. Declan shouts that he wants whatever Gates is getting, and Sophie claims she wants Mediterranean food. I'll help him order, Reed explains. As he jumps up, he bounces to the top of the stairs and sees Gates filtering through restaurant menus. You really ordering? Reed can't help but chuckle. Oh yeah, I'm hungry. Gates responds. So, the council's in town. Gates leans against the counter as he faces Reed. Have you hidden that book well? It's in a hidden floorboard under my bed, Reed admits. Gates shakes his head. You should give it to Kaya's mom, Gates states. Let her keep it. They know she's human. They have no jurisdiction over her. If you are seen with that book, then there's no saving you. The council's already under a lot of pressure because of the druids. Reed knows this. Of course he does. He nods his head anyways. He's used to getting lectured by now. I'll get the book now. He mumbles as he trails upstairs. Gates hums and goes back to looking at menus. Upstairs, Reed crawls under his bed and reaches for his secret pot. His secret spot. Pulling out the dusting and old book. He leans against the bed frame and digs in his pocket to pull out his mobile. And he sends Mrs. Cotella a text. She responds within the minute saying to come over now. Getting up, he grabs a coat and places the book in it as he holds the coat to his chest. He looks so suspicious right now, but he doesn't care. He grabs his keys that he really never uses because Gates always drives and heads out to Mrs. Cotel's house. The drive is fairly quick and he rushes up to her house and walks in to see her greeting him at the door with a warm smile. Let me see. She makes grabbing hands for the book. 
And he hands it over without question. How are the two spells coming along? I've made good progress, Rebost. Gates is a cruel yet efficient teacher. Good. Mrs. Cotel smiles. Now show me what you can do. Reed returns the smell and gets to it. He stays for an hour before leaving and heading back to the house. Upon arrival, he sees Gates standing in the doorway and four people walking up the driveway after giving, getting out of the parked black SUV. There are three men and one woman. Reed, unfortunately, recognizes all four of them. They are the council. He swallows and wills his hand to stop shaking. The tallest of them is Parkus Stewart. He stands at six foot four with a strong build as if he was played rugby his entire life. He has midnight black hair with eyes so brown they look black as well. He has high cheekbones that look sharp enough, especially when he scowls, which is always. Then there's Remedy Bellows. She's about five foot eight with long, straight, sandy brown hair. Her blue eyes are deep like the bottom of the ocean and she does this thing where she doesn't talk and tilts her head to the side like she's trying to look into your soul. She's nothing compared to the twins, Daniel, Nathaniel and Darius Polk. The two of them are 5'9 and both are a bit on the husky side with rounded bellies and faces. They are also very sadistic and find others pain laughable with blonde hair and blue eyes they are not afraid of releasing unimaginable pain on those who disobey the rules of the council you must be read pull parkas states and remedy stands behind him with a tilted head eyes slanted the council would like to speak with you and your friends Re doesn't know what to say or do. He feels frozen from the immense power coming off of these four. Only the proven strongest magicals are allowed on the council. Our parents aren't here. He croaks out instead. Parkas laughs, but is filled with a sinister, eerie tone and not one of joy. Come along now, Parkas says to the other three council members as if Re no longer exists. Moving out of their way, the four council members walk towards the door where Gates lets them in. Reed, however, gets back in his car and drives away. He might be a coward for not wanting to face them, but he's too jittery right now. They'll take one deep look at him and know he's hiding something. That's a chance he just cannot take.